This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood films. This month, we are taking a spooky look at a movie called House that doesn't star Hugh Laurie. Uh, it's taken us a while to put this together for a variety of reasons, but we finally have the person who has been trying to get us to watch this film for over a year to come and explain to us why. So, Sarah, why don't you start us off explaining the plot uh, to our listeners, in a segment we call 60 Second Synopsis. Mark, you're going to give me the timer because I don't have my phone. Uh, um, I, had to, I had to take a deep breath on that one because I was like, ooh. <laughs> Did you not prepare it? Do I ever prepare Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think you may have once. But your ad-lib version should be as much nonsense as this film is. You know what, though? Half the time she ad-libs and she's done in 20 seconds instead of 60. So. That's because I don't put any of the plot in. <laughs> Yeah, but I prepare and I always go over. Anyway, I have a timer ready. Okay. All right, give her a countdown. Let's go. Three, two, one, go. Roger, who is a Vietnam vet and horror movie writer, is dealing with the missing nature of his son and his divorce from his wife. When his aunt commits suicide, he decides to move into the house and work on his new book, which is about his time in the war. He learns that his aunt might not have committed suicide and actually been hunted by the house into killing herself. As he starts to have weird things happen in the house, he also deals with his kind of annoying neighbor who's Norm from Cheers and um, having flashbacks to the war. He decides to declare war on the house, which he thinks kidnapped his son and um, tries to also not get caught dealing with the haunted house by the cops, these neighbors, and all things that said. In the end, he finds that the house has kidnapped his son. He gets his house, his son back, destroys the house, and reunites with his wife. The end. Pretty good. Also, and that was about 50 minutes. Also, Bull from Night Court is there. Who? Bull from <laughs> Night Court. Is that Bjork? No. His neighbor? No. Bull from Night Court. Have you I don't, I've not seen Night Court. Was that not clear? <laughs> don't you love it when she makes all these references to other things that no one has ever seen? Yeah, and then she just keeps repeating. No, it's this reference you don't know. Bull from Night Court is Richard Mole, and he plays Big Ben, the friend from the war. Okay. Oh, you know who I recognized, though, was one of the police officers who also plays a police officer in In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> wow. That is a deep cut. I don't remember what his name is, but I, I was like, hey, he's a police officer again. Yeah, I mean, George Wendt is just playing George Wendt. Yeah. I mean, he has a very typical role, which is just Joe Everyman, who <laughs> makes all his comedic remarks in, like, understated comedy. You should watch Night Court. It's got um, Harry Anderson and John Larroquette in it, and it's about a night court. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed. Like, Harry Anderson plays a judge who deals with all of the weird cases you get in the middle of the night. Wait, what is it? Is that a real thing? Do night courts exist? 
Don't they have like court dates and regular hours? I think it's in urban areas and they deal with like drunks and um, yeah, prostitutes. How do you have an emergency court? Anyway, we've got that topic immediately. Uh, let's you say that like it's different from usual. We don't normally get off topic five seconds into the I, podcast. I want to say that when Mark watched this movie for the first time, all of a sudden I got a text message that said, <laughs> what have you made us watch? And Yuch I was like- why? When you couldn't make it the first time we were going to record, it was just me and Mark. I said, no, we have to have Sarah here to explain why. I don't understand <laughs> how this is any weirder than Poltergeist the other month. Oh, um... so we can get, I, I'm also going to make a parallel to that later on. We can get to the differences between them. First, let me say the thing. Let's get into long form. What did you see as adults? The best of children. For me, everything. <laughs> For Mark, I believe everything as well. Sarah, you're the only person who has seen this I've film. I've seen this several times. Um, this movie stars the greatest American hero, which is also a reference I keep making that you guys don't get. Yeah, it's that Cobb. Yes, William. Roger Cobb. Uh, William Cat. Um, he was also in the terrible dinosaur movie we watched. Um, oh, okay. He was in a TV show called The Greatest American Hero, which you should all know the theme song for, which is Believe It or Not. I'm oh, yeah, George's answering machine from Seinfeld. Yes, that is a theme song from that show. It's about a superhero who gets, like, powers from an alien, but then uses, like, a mystical ring, and then he loses the manual on how to work it. Cool, cool, cool. So, like, in this movie, it, it makes sense that he's in that, because he's just playing, like, a writer, a horror novelist in this film. He's kind of a Stephen King character. He is incredibly built. Like, he is a very... A, a, traditionally attractive man like with the <laughs> amount of deep star trek v-cut sweaters that yeah, he wears he in this he's a handsome man his outfit was, man. was strange the, like when he first was looking at the house i was like what is he even wearing a handsome 80s man outfit <laughs> now i don't know if we have gotten quite to going through the plot or if we're we, care. we are gonna <laughs> jump around because the plot in so, this does not make any sense it's true uh, the plot itself jumps around all the time. So, so at the beginning, right, you learn that he's a writer and he is at a book signing. Yes. But his fan base is like the most eclectic group of people. <laughs> like you have elderly people, you have young people, you have the goth crowd is there. And it's like, what? I, it's Talk hard to tell crowd. what it's genre of book he is supposed to be famous for. If it's every a horror different movie. Oh, yeah, I thought it was clear. She, he's a horror novelist. It does talk about that. But I, according to, he said something about how he's going to write about his Vietnam War days. And some of the people commented that, or what, like his publisher commented that people are bored of it because he keeps writing about it. No, no, no. no. They're bored of hearing about Vietnam. Vietnam doesn't sell because it was a very unpopular war. And, and people are also mad because when he says he's going to write a memoir at the book signing, people get disappointed because they just want him to write another horror book. It's, it's an off-genre book for him. Also, throughout the film, we see him writing this. And when he's talking to his editor, he's months behind on producing a book. And he goes home and he hasn't written a single word. He hasn't gotten past the title. So, I mean, it's clear he doesn't have much to say on the topic. He does have a lot of traumatic... So, this movie is half a horror movie and half just a man's struggle with his post-traumatic stress. Yeah, and that's what I had trouble deciding if... 
So, so the way it keeps jumping back and forth between him writing a story about war and then his current problems in normal life. And every now and then I was like, well, is this something that's actually happening or is it just him envisioning something because he's crazy from the war? Well, I think a lot of it is him going through what he's writing for the book. And in one specific section, it's him in hell. <laughs> yeah. the, most of the Vietnam flashbacks are just him thinking out what he's going to write for the book right. until he gets dragged into the closet. And then it is the house messing with him. But does he come out of the closet? Because I think he should. He does, but not until morning and Norm from Cheers is asleep on the floor. Right. Still holding the fishing pole. <laughs> uh, like, we have that's to explain, gonna help. Hold on. We have to explain everything to our listeners, because <laughs> like me, they haven't seen this film. <laughs> Most people haven't seen this film. We should, uh, like we did for some other films, go through a basic <laughs> plot. Like, Sarah, you did a fine job with your 60-second synopsis, but, like, we gotta walk our audience through and, like, Go in some sort of framework so our audience has some sort of context to the things that we're saying because it's all nonsense. It, well, yes, this this movie is a lot. <laughs> so let's start off as you did. It starts off, his aunt's in the house, she commits suicide, and then we get a funeral. Uh, Cobb inherits the house, they were going to sell it, but he keeps it, and then it gets him to the house. I want to, I have a comment on the funeral scene because like <laughs> it's him at his aunt's funeral uh, with a bunch of old people. I assume his aunt's friends, but like nobody is sad except for him. And like nobody is consoling him having just lost a loved one. They're all just like, well, she wasn't crazy. This is very not like her. She hasn't committed suicide before. It's uh, just like, that's not how mental like, illness yeah, works. I like that the old guy says, Oh, your aunt was a good lady. It's not she wasn't crazy, and his response is thank you. And I'm like, well, well, I guess what else do you say to that? But not just she wasn't crazy, but she wasn't crazy. Like my wife, this person next to me I've been married to for the past 30 Who's years. Having a meltdown at this person's funeral. <laughs> your aunt wasn't crazy, or trust me, I know crazy. But it also seems like no one really liked the aunt that much because but, but when he first meets Norm from Cheers, Norm from Cheers is like, yeah, the lady who used to live here was awful. Until yeah, she was an old hag, a real bitch. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody walked into her house and murdered her. He's <laughs> like, oh, your aunt? Uh, she was very nice. Oh, lady. but a heart of gold, though, and beautiful for her age. And then even, like, in the flashbacks, everybody is upset about her. When she was still alive, she would say something and everybody yells at her about it. Yeah, and the thing is, even in that flashback, which is where, um, so Roger Cobb used to live in this house. He was raised by his aunt in this home, and he lived with his wife and son in this house at one point, which is where his son goes missing one day, I, and that's where they get- I don't think they were living there. I think maybe they were just visiting? Just visiting. Okay. But that also was never explained. Now, that's- there are a lot of flashbacks in this movie, and by the end, you're used to it, I think. But, like, when the first one happens, it's just like there's no transition period. He's just walking around the house, and suddenly he's in a different time period, and his wife is there, and it's like, what just happened? <laughs> 
Yeah, it, they, they threw a bunch of them at you like that with hardly any transition from normal time to flashbacks. And it, at first it was a little confusing what was happening. But then you see the ant alive and it started to be like, oh, well, maybe this is something. <laughs> yeah, and then you see the ant alive and it's a ghost who is warning him that he should leave the house and then she hangs herself. That's what ghosts do. Uh, I, no, ghosts are normally already dead. They, they don't have to relive <laughs> the dying process. No, some people consider ghosts to not be a haunting, but to be a um, kind of like a memory. And so they replay their death. Oh, like like in The Grudge. In The Grudge, you, you go in the house and it keeps replaying the moment of the when The Grudge was cat. Interesting. I've not seen The Grudge. I've like, watched a lot of horror movies, guys. The other thing our audience has to know about this film is this horror film is so deep in like campy horror and it's great because this film clearly understands what it is <laughs> and it is so like campy and weird and odd now, horror and it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you say that though because i was thinking the reason that it was such a bad movie was because it was trying to take itself seriously but oh, it, but no. it really oh, no. wasn't good no 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 this film does not take itself seriously it is not. like roger cobb is a good character because he is the uh, the linchpin for everything. There's crazy stuff going around him. The character is taking it seriously. However, like, nothing else in the film is serious. Like, the first kind of haunting that's not like seeing his aunt is a haunted stuffed fish that he shoots with a shotgun off the wall. <laughs> and then it's, like, slowly, sadly dying, and he puts a towel over it so he can't see its sad eyes anymore. My comment there was, my uncle had one of those too, except his said, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> but it's, like, it's this sad, dying, haunted fish that he's just like, okay, if I cover it, I don't have to look at it. And he just, it's one of those things where you think it's going to be like, well, because his, his aunt committed suicide because the house drove her crazy. Like, it, it haunted her to death. And he's a Viet War vet with uh, post-traumatic stress and his son's speaking of so you're gonna think like that classic 80s conflict the Viet War so you think it's going to be like this is going to be a super scary haunting like well comparing like Poltergeist had some real scary hunts but this is like if your house was haunted by gross Muppets something you said made me think of something and then you kept talking and I forgot <laughs> it was <laughs> that always happens I, I just remember, yeah, the first, the first haunting coming out of the closet. Oh, was, the, wasn't, oh, was right, that, the that was before skeleton. the fish, wasn't it? You're right. He opens the closet and it's the gross skeleton that he has to beat into the and closet. Honestly, for a campy horror film, the effects could be way worse. Like these effects, they're practical effects. The, the weird rubber costumes that the monsters have are very well done, especially the one that comes out of the closet the first time. And that comes back late. That's what drags him right, into the that's closet. That's what drags later. him to hell. Because they're not supposed to look like realistic they're supposed to be weird gross puppet demons and that's that's something this film does really well because like the monster design is not a traditional monster design where it's uh clearly a creature that we understand that has limbs and a head and clearly you can determine like oh this is where its brain is i should shoot the brain this monster that comes out of the closet is like he's got 30 sharp claws coming from all different angles he has like 
50 different faces molded into this rubber costume. Like, he's a monstrosity. It's he's a Lovecraftian gooey. horror. It's very gooey. Now, he admits that he grew up here, yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how is it that the house drove his aunt crazy and was all haunted and stuff, and he never knew it before? It's a great question. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to answer that, except for maybe his, his aunt did something while yeah, he was right. away. <laughs> maybe he slept, because they say that, like, at midnight is when most of the stuff happens. Maybe he was a heavy sleeper at that point. Well, and so I was thinking, well, maybe it all started when his son got lost and his son was haunting everything, but then that's not how it turned out at the well, end. Well, I mean, so. it could have happened based on his experience in the war, which we find out later is how his son went missing. Maybe. It's it's a mystery as to why the house is haunted, and frankly, I'm glad they don't give you a bullshit explanation. No, really? Is it... Maybe it feeds off Is it trauma. his experience in the war that caused his son to go missing? Yes. I mean, he clearly antagonized somebody who came for his well, son. the but way I, the... I thought his son just wandered off and was lost, and then part of his PTSD or the house messing with him, because the aunt said it knows your deepest fears... So I thought the ghost of his former I have a theory. War buddy okay. guy was just because the house knew he was scared of that guy. So the house feeds off your fears and maybe as okay. a child he didn't have enough fear, but now he has the PS PTSD. <laughs> yes. I got the right letters for Vietnam and that allowed it to feed off enough fears to kidnap the son. To eat the sun, the house eats the sun and throws it in like behind the mirror world. And then, but once he stops being afraid of the house is when he can finally break the sun free. Okay, so even in your version, yeah. his son who is captured got captured by the house. Yes. Okay, because yeah, I, I took it as a very literal interpretation because this film doesn't seem like it's having any sort of imagery or metaphor. It's very straightforward. I took it to be the straightforward narrative. The house takes his son. Yeah. He goes into hell. He saves his son and brings his son back. No, hell, I think, is still part of the house. Because remember, the aunt says the, the son is in the house. The house took the son. I think just that's all part of the house. Okay. I okay. think Sarah so and I are kind of on the same page. But okay, so I it's... Still, it, it still so makes me wonder if some of this was his, his dead PTSD war buddy is his interpretation of the weirdness of the house. And it the house has some extra dimensional space where the sun was. Yeah, that's because that's how haunted houses work. They, is that how haunted houses work? Well, think about like The Shining where it gets the super long hallway or like where you get like too many corridors and things like that. That's a very common horror movie trope. Anyway, sure. but right. the point is. His was specifically Vietnam-themed, his horror thing, because it's not Vietnam-themed in the pictures that the ant has. Well, yes, but the picture, so the, to explain to our audience, to give them more context, <laughs> the, throughout the house that this ant lived in are these portraits that she has painted. However, all of them depict things that Roger is seeing without going into that extra-dimensional space. Because there's one where uh, a woman is being cut up by flying garden tools, and that happens to him in the garage. Uh, there's one where it's a woman going into a glowing closet with a boy screaming from a mirror. And this is a mirror that Roger sees, and the closet door is a portal to that extra-dimensional space, well, I think that, but it is not That's how in he it. discovered that that portal was there, is because he saw that yeah. painting. I was but like, the oh, maybe my son's in there. portal has always been a portal. 
And the son's been there since before the aunt died, so the aunt could have seen the boy behind the mirror. But it just wouldn't he just wouldn't have been in a cage in Vietnam because it wasn't okay. necessarily feeding it because that wasn't her memories. Yes, that wouldn't have been the fear that she would have been had uh, the house would have projected on her. Yeah. What he saw was Vietnam because that's where his fear and um guilt comes from. Alright, so the other thing that I noticed on a second viewing, because I watched this again last night. How long is the sun gone? See, I wondered about that too. Because, like, the sun gets taken. There's enough time for an FBI investigation that turns up nothing. There's enough time for uh, Roger and his wife to start, start having problems and get divorced. There's enough time afterwards that, like, they aren't emotional talking about the separation anymore is just a thing that has happened and there's enough time for him to not have produced work and his editor to start getting on his case is just like hey we need another book so like that is a not insignificant amount of time that this kid has been gone i would say don't count the book in there because we don't know if he was having problems writing the book before or after the sun but it's still not a completely closed case because he does keep still calling the cop so i'm gonna say more than six months less than two years okay because two years is roughly ballpark where i put it like between a year and two years is kind of what i had in mind the the thing is <laughs> the sun is the same age he's the same age he hasn't grown he's wearing the clothes that he got taken in, and they still fit. Yes, because he's stuck and, in a house. And that means that when he comes back out, he won't know that his parents have been divorced. <laughs> it also means that, like, he missed out on that whole time. He hasn't aged during that time. Furthermore, Roger's gonna have to explain to the FBI and the CIA, who he keeps calling for updates on his son, Wow, he got his son back. He also set his house on fire, so he's going to have to deal with that as well. But Yeah, he set his house on fire by, by letting a grenade go off, which is not how grenades no. work. He, <laughs> no. he set the grenade off in a ghost. <laughs> okay that, and and that's gonna be a lot easier to explain know. to the fbi that was a great explosion though i enjoyed that explosion that was pretty nice in in my my horror movie trivia knowledge the stunt coordinator for this movie was kane hotter who this will mean nothing to you it means nope. something to me and and i liked a, a lot of the like physicality of some of the stuff in this movie kane hotter has done stunts and stuff for like over a hundred movies but what he is most known for is being one of the jason in the friday the third i think maybe he was the second second or third jason but he did like four or five jason and so he is as long as he wasn't jason from space i think he oh, was jason i x. think he was jason x i think uh. that was i think that was the last one he did <laughs> i think that was his last one maybe that killed it for him um but but so within the horror movie franchise, and I think this was the first one he did full stunt coordinator on, like, he's he's a big name. And so, like, when someone, I was looking through the thing and it said Kane Hodder, I'm like, oh, that, like, having this be the start of his career and having Kane Hodder do that, like, they got some good people on this movie. Yeah, though, uh, I will say for the stunts, especially at the very end where... Uh, we're not going to go into order. These, for our audience, a skeleton of his old war buddy is how he a, perceives the... I was going to say he looks more like a, a mummy. Yeah, a I mean, he something. has parts that are more than just bones. Yeah, but, I was going to yeah. say he has more flesh than... A decomposing corpse of his old war buddy. Better. 
comes to life and starts beating him uh, around the house. And it's how he's perceiving this horror that is supposed to lead him to commit suicide. And my notes during this fight scene is, oh, this guy doesn't seem that into it. Like, it doesn't seem like he's interested in hurting Roger. Which, it makes sense for the film because we learn at the end that the house can't actually hurt him. Uh, and he's supposed to commit suicide on his own. But, like, some of the fights here is just like, oh, yeah, it's just like, he doesn't seem like he wants to hurt him at all. I think part of it is the costumes where, because of all the makeup and whatnot, the zombie-like character can't move all that quickly or he'll damage the suit. It did have one of my favorite things in that fight scene, which was just Roger flinging the couch at him and him just shoving it away really easily because he's like, I'm going to throw this couch and it's going to get in his way and it's going to give me time. And the guy just goes, just shoves it really like easily across. And you talk about the, the costuming and not being able to move well. And there's like when he talks, you can almost see like the separate his separate face underneath the mask because it moves differently than his actual face. So that was, <laughs> was I don't know. I I found some parts of this distracting me from what I was supposed to pay attention to just because I guess at the time maybe they were good special effects, but they don't really live up today. So that's the thing about campy horror. Yeah. It's like the bad effects are a part of the experience. Can we talk about my favorite costume? Uh, is it Miss Piggy? <laughs> It is, it is that bloated wife. <laughs> oh, yes, man. Please, please give context to our audience. Who is this character? So at one point, Roger gets a knock at the door, opens it. It appears to be his ex-wife coming to check on him. And then he looks up and it is, has turned into this ghoul monster, like decomposing Ursula from the Little Mermaid. <laughs> That's not bad. My uh, Think of a full-size Slimer, like what Slimer would have been if he was corporeal. And and then put it in a, squeeze it into a dress. Right. And With <laughs> enormous tits. Like, imagine big breasts and then like multiply by a hundred, you nailed it. Um, And then he freaks out shoots her with the reoccurring shotgun and then it turns back into his wife and he hides her in the closet. Right. And like that to me is that's great illusionary <laughs> horror stuff where like it's someone you actually care about, but the house is making you harm them. Uh, and then it turns out that like his it's not really his wife. It was just the monster the whole time, but and they were messing with him. He doesn't find that out until because it's after the cops show up that he finds out that she's the body's not in the closet anymore. Yeah, and like his immediate response of seeing. His dead wife, ex-wife, on the crowd, having shot her in the chest, is just to... He's just like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Oh, let's just closet. put this body in the closet with these other bodies. It should be fine. At that point, like, there's a certain point in this movie, after a couple things have happened, that he just has lost his mind. Yeah, it's, it's early on. This man did not have, a, like, a huge 
psyche to corrupt. Maybe That's where I got fish. the idea that possibly it was supposed to be his PTSD rather than like an actual hunting that maybe he was just imagining these well, things. Well, that's what Norm from kind Cheers of, thinks it is. Kind and of driving the himself The other crazy. note I had here at, at one point was, is there a gas leak in this house? <laughs> yeah. He also, like, when he's serving the cop, he serves them coffee in China cups. And I think that is the most suspicious thing <laughs> about that whole scene. Really? It wasn't when the cops are called after the neighbor hears the gunshots and he, hearing the sirens, hides a body, then comes back to the porch. The, uh, the cop car is basically on his lawn. He sits down, picks up the gun, starts wiping with it a cloth, and just starts whistling to himself he looks, nonchalantly. He looks like a crazy hillbilly just sitting on his porch. <laughs> also, during this entire cop scene, he's in army fatigues. And nobody comments so I think, on it. Again, this was he when he moved into the house and starts writing stories. He immediately changes back into his Vietnam costume outfit. Costume. <laughs> and, and, no, no, no. It wasn't when he started writing. It was after getting visited by the monster. Yeah, Is that's it, he true. gets all the camera equipment and he starts dressing like he's in the army. Yeah, because he he has to get really into it because he, he buys like twenty cameras and sets them up by the closet. Yeah, including a disposable one he has to wind up and, and then he has to like get into like stealth gear so he can watch this closet and then what was the thing he was testing it so he pulled the door open and runs out the front door and slides on his knees yelling about how he how he won or whatever and it's like you haven't even done anything the other the thing that bothered me most about that scene wasn't the massive amount of cameras it wasn't that he was using a disposable wind-up one it's that he tied a rope around a doorknob and somehow pulling that opens the door, which is not how doorknobs work. You need to twist them. Uh, but no, he, when the cops come and he's acting like a crazy person and the cops are like, what is happening? He serves them coffee and he, I don't know if it's just because it's an old lady house. He's like, it's in China cups. And I'm like, but then he's like on the way out and he's like, my gun. And I'm like, you are the <laughs> like, dumbest. What about your gun? Oh, nothing. Please leave. He's like the dumbest. I mean, I know you're being haunted, but you are like the dumbest human being. Also, like, have the cops help you hunt monsters. Because oh. he, he calls in his neighbor to help later on. So Norm clearly he's Cheers. not against bringing other people here. Norm from Cheers is the least amount of help. But that we, is a We really... should really talk about Harold or Norm from Cheers or George Wendt, whoever you want to call him. <laughs> I mean, they're all the same, right? If yeah. it was just trauma and he's imagining all of this, Norm from Cheers was very helpful. He's not super helpful when it turns out it's actually a haunted house because Norm from Cheers says, hey, I think he's struggling and he's having some flashbacks. So he steals. Uh, so Norm from Cheers just comes over and like brings pizza. All right, hold on. Because like, uh, let's start at the beginning. They meet and Norm- Insults uh, ins his aunt. Harold insults his aunt and then immediately retracts and is nice because he realizes they're related. Then he realizes, oh, you're the- you're the horror novelist. I'm your biggest fan. And then I have a broken copy of your novel, just loose pages in, in my back pocket, like a normal fan. Sarah, Sarah, you are the most well-read of any of us. You carry a book with you everywhere. Have you ever carried a book so long that it has just become loose pages in your back pocket? 
I have some books that are in pretty bad condition, but I don't carry them with me anymore. They stay in the bookcase. So immediately with that, I think this character's insane. Oh yeah, this, that's This crazy. character has no concept of what it means if, to be a normal human If you human love being. that book so much, buy a new copy. My Lord of the Rings books were getting real worn out because they were my parents' copies from like the 70s. I bought myself a new fancy copy of Lord of the Rings. You can buy, unless it's like a signed first edition, you can buy yourself a new copy of the book. So like this, this continues on where Harold is the most well-meaning neighbor. Upon meeting them, uh, he invites him over to dinner just to get to know him. Uh, he wants to like, oh, you know, you don't have a family. That's even better. Let's get some burgers and beers and let's watch the game. And then he comes over unannounced at midnight to just talk to Roger, which is absurd to me. If somebody came into my house unannounced at midnight, they would get hit by a baseball bat or get shot. Sorry, I thought there was a woodpecker on my wall. Okay. <laughs> I could hear tapping. Uh, and then uh, he continues this where he he's well-meaning. He calls the ex-wife with concern. He calls the cops when he hears gunshots, but he keeps showing up unannounced but you know what i feel like that was just a thing in this neighborhood because another time he walks out to his backyard and the neighbor lady is just swimming in his pool well she says the aunt let her she's also a terrible neighbor oh she's yes. crazy <laughs> she's also a terrible mother agreed mm -hmm. we can get to her let's get let's finish off with george but, went but if if Roger just had post-traumatic stress george would have been doing a what was harold would have been doing a great job calling loved ones to say hey i think he's he's having some flashbacks i think having some problems calling the cops when he thinks he might have committed suicide things like that all great if he's just having mental problems terrible ghost hunter and he comes over later in the film rogers invited him over for a movie <laughs> he's clearly wanting to spend time with this guy who is struggling through this stressful time in his life uh, though, then Roger takes him up to the closet, just like, hey, you're gonna help me hunt a raccoon. A raccoon the size of a, what would you say, a St. Bernard? Uh, St. Bernard, <laughs> yes. Cujo the raccoon is the way that Harold puts it. Though the way that Roger is talking to this guy, if there isn't monsters in this house, it sounds like Roger is trying to talk him into committing a murder. Like, I'm gonna open the closet. Whatever comes out of the closet, you shoot with this harpoon gun, no questions asked, get ready, I'm gonna open the closet at midnight, you're gonna shoot it immediately, and then it's gonna be dead. And that'll be great for all of us. Roger sounds high on drugs, and the fact that Norm from Cheers does not immediately leave when he's handed the harpoon gun is is interesting. Was didn't he ask him first, like if he had ever shot anything yeah, or he, if he'd ever been hunting or something? Yeah. Well, yes, and Harold has a great line there where Roger hands him this spear gun that was owned by his uncle. He's like, hey, "Have you have you ever used one of these before?" And Harold's like, "Oh, sure, every day." What is it? <laughs> 
I, you know what though? Now, well, maybe we're off topic again. But t- speaking of the harpoon gun, I'm stepping backwards to when the he, realtor Rod- Roger first comes into the house after his aunt's died, and the realtor's just showing him around the house and just nonchalantly picks up this gun and is waving it around. And my first thought was, oh, is he that? That seems reckless, just waving this gun around. Two seconds later, he shoots it right at Roger. The realtor like, almost mm. shoots him in the head. Yeah, the, the realtor who I described as. A poor man's John Cleese. I felt like he was doing it on purpose, almost, because he just kind of acts like, oh, look at that. <laughs> like, So I missed this on the first viewing, and I caught it last night, rewatching it. The spear gun goes off when they're talking about the uncle and what happened to him, and Roger starts the stories like, oh, it's actually interesting. He was scuba diving in this country, and then, and then the spear gun goes off and nearly shoots Roger in the neck. I think to illustrate to the audience, oh, his uncle got shot by a spear gun. It could be that spear gun. So at the point where... Anyway, are we getting back to George Went now? Yeah, at the point where he hands Harold the spear gun, we've already clearly established this man owns a shotgun. Why not shoot the monster with a shotgun? Then you have more than one shot, which comes up later. The only thing you lose out on is the rope that ties into the monster, which didn't help anyway. I guess I thought the point was he wanted him to pull the monster into the house so he could kill it or something. Yeah, and that worked Because he real said, well. don't let go, whatever happens. And George went line is, uh, don't worry, Roger, I'll hold on to you as if it's the last thing I, oh, you're gone, I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> uh. I, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I, it, for mm. for as dumb as it is, as it is and has... Huh, I can't describe this movie as good for a variety of reasons, but this movie is fun. This movie is very fun. Murdering the fat ghost montage? I <laughs> yes. That was Oh, yeah, weird. there's a drastic shift in the music there. Right. Where it's like, it turns into like this doo-wop, and it's the first time that like... A song, it, it, it's basically playing like a montage there. And suddenly he's all happy about chopping up the, the ghost and burying it. Well, right, it it's, it. he thinks he's defeated the house. Now, again, this get, that this brings me back to the, did he actually kill a ghost and bury it, or did he visualize killing it, and now he's just digging holes and filling them in with dirt, and he thinks he's burying parts of a ghost, but he's just imagining mm. the parts that he's burying. That one I'm a little less sure about, because I don't know how far the house's power reaches, but it has to reach into the yard because he thought he saw the boy in the pool. When his son disappeared. So it must extend to the pool. Well, and that's the point where the there the neighbor lady is there. Yeah. Try pr- flirting with him, apparently. Uh telling him how she knows about guys who like to work, but they also like to play. <laughs> and and this is the ghost that he has chopped up in a bag is reaching its hand out trying to grab her, so he just steps on it and stands there. But I don't that's what I'm saying. Like I because she didn't even notice anything. I'm wondering if he was just imagining all these things or the house is making him imagine these things and nobody else can even see them. But well, there then, has to be Harold sees it in the closet, so... Hmm. It is interesting, because this film doesn't say explicitly what's going on. It's less to the audience to interpret it. And you guys interpret it as, the house is doing weird things, it's all the house, everything, it's just the house messing with him. Whereas I interpret it as, this house is a portal to hell. Which, so in my 
understanding of the film. This is some sort of hell beast that came to kill Roger, and he defeated it, and now he's burying a literal body. He could be. I don't... That's what I'm... I think he could have been, but when, yeah, when I watched it the second time, I started thinking, well, maybe he. this is just him going crazy, and he thinks he's doing these things, but really, there's nothing there. And, of course, the way that he ends up killing this monster is because all of the flying garden utensils chasing him chop off its head so he didn't even defeat it himself right though that's an interesting thing that i caught on another viewing where the house has several things that come and attack roger there's the the monster with the shotgun there's like these little imp children that try to steal a boy later and there's these flying garden tools though they're not all one entity because roger uses the garden tools to defeat the monster with the shotgun so like they're not working together well i don't think I don't now know there I has wanna... to be an end to that sentence or else you're just saying <laughs> i don't think Period. Full stop. About the levels of sentience within possessed haunted objects within a house, because like these objects are smart enough to fly around and wait at a door until it but opens. Now, yeah, that, but now like, that goes back to the whole harpoon gun, because maybe the realtor didn't shoot him. Maybe it was the ghost trying to shoot him with the gun the guy had in his hand. But is like. <laughs> Fat Miss Piggy, like, uh -huh. the sentience of, like, a zombie human, and, like, mm -hmm. the garden tools, the sentience of, like, a pigeon. Hmm. And okay. so they, you can, you can, they can focus on hitting a thing, but they can't, like, taunt him. They can just, like, home in on things, and then when he got out of the way, they could rebound well enough. Okay, but it is not one central entity controlling these multiple forms. I, I think guess the house is, is just point. evil and everything in the house is evil. Though the, um, Mark, you mentioned whether or not he's burying an actual body uh, in the backyard with his big garbage bag. The, um, his neighbor, the hot neighbor who's swimming in the pool does comment on the garbage bags yeah. and how large they are. And she asks, oh, is this a sapling that you're planting? So there is something of a significant size in the garbage bags, regardless of whether it's a, a really a monster or not. I'm going to assume that the area of effect for the haunted house extends into the yard. The yard counts as part of the haunted house. So we're just saying that it haunts anybody who comes by. It's not just after Roger. Well, I think anybody who comes on the property could see Roger's interpretations of the haunting. I think it maybe it adapts to who's there the longest and who has the most fear. And so at the moment, it's feeding off of Roger because Roger has a lot of trauma. Before Roger was living there, it was feeding off the ant until it got her. I want to get to the trauma. I think we're at a good point to talk about Roger's other neighbor that isn't Norm from Cheers. Uh, and who I called Bjork because she talks with an inexplicable accent. I think she's Swedish. Sure. Inexplicable. <laughs> Bjork is Icelandic, I think. Now, okay, then they, they never explain why she has an accent other than, hey, it's this hot foreign lady. I think <laughs> right. because the actress has an accent. Yeah, right. But yeah. So this is a, this is a neighbor Roger meets the same day he meets Norm from Cheers who's just out jogging and he's like runs by and they kind of make eyes at each other and Roger's like oh all right look 
this hot blonde lady that looks vaguely kind of like my ex-wife. And that's right, how he exactly. met Harold, because Harold stands there watering the plants and says, oh, she's pretty, isn't she? Look at the exotic European version of my ex-wife. And then when he sees her in the yard, she is coming out of the pool in a bathing suit, and she's a very attractive woman in a bathing suit. Uh, and, like, in classical horror movies, she's the hot girl It's going to lead to some... It's going to lead to the nudity that helps sell horror films kind of thing, as I interpret it. Though they do a nice play on that here, where the relationship that is starting to form between them is turned on its side when she stops by and asks, Hi, it's, are you ready to play? And... She has brought her young child and just like, yes, this is Robert, my son. He loves to play. <laughs> and again, how you already mentioned the bad parenting, because I'm like, what? I mean, you just meet some random guy in the neighborhood and that first night you're going to let your kids stay there for several hours while you go out wherever you're going. It didn't even say where she went. It felt like she was going on a date or something because she was it all did. dressed up. It felt like she wanted to go out on the town and need someone to watch her son. Even though up to this point, we've seen her jogging around the neighborhood alone. We uh, assume that takes a while. We hear, we see her swimming in her neighbor's pool alone. Another thing that's going to take a little while. Who's watching the kid during that time? Maybe is it preschool? I don't He's know. pretty young for, I don't know. None of well, us then, have children. the kid just runs into the house and starts running around, and, and Roger chases him, and the mom is just like, oh, where'd you guys go? And then, it, like, Roger is, it's the ghost hand from the thing that he chopped up has apparently come up out of the ground and is hanging onto the kid's clothing. And while Roger is trying to rip this ghost hand off, the kid is about bawling in the bathroom. And then they come outside, and everything's fine again, as if nothing happened this <laughs> and child mother's like okay i'll just leave you here with this crazy man this child bounces back real well he's a real trooper uh though in that scene another thing that bothered me he flushes the hand down the toilet which is not how any of that works that is not a good enough toilet to be able to flush that no it sure isn't and that's not large enough to be or i mean that's not small enough to be flushed out of any toilet there's bones in that hand, this, surely. This is not one of those, like, toilets that I keep for some reason seeing advertisements for, where it's like, you can flush 10,000 golf balls down <laughs> it. Do not I'm ask. sorry, what toilets are you You, you haven't seen those commercials? I have not. I have not oh. seen a lot of commercials. Mark, you have? I've seen it once or twice. <sighs> Thank you. I'm not crazy. <laughs> but I bet that toilet could take a zombie hand. Right? If it can take 10,000 golf balls, it can flush a zombie hand. I mean, as long as all the balls aren't going down the hole at the same time. It just... So, at this point, uh, Bjork just leaves her kid with, with Roger for the night. A stranger! You've met him yes. once! But, like, the thing that weirded me out here is, like, this is a kid with an adult that he doesn't know. And Roger's expected to give this kid a bath? Like, there's there's boundaries with children that shouldn't be crossed unless, like, there's a relationship that's already formed between them. Also, Roger's kind of terrible with children. For the fact that this child seems to be maybe a couple years old, younger than his son, very similar to his son, like, stuff like that, he's terrible with him. And then, <laughs> so really and bad. 
I think that was part of the because then during the night he starts writing again and has one of his flashbacks while he's writing. And then when he kind of wakes up to reality, he realizes suddenly another kid is gone and he has to uh-huh. go around the house looking for him. He's also watching his ex-wife soap opera. <laughs> Though uh, in mention of Roger's parenting, earlier on in the film, we see him writing and he's watching some terrible TV program. So he looks up and he turns the TV off and he goes back to his writing. Then he looks up again and he sees the reflection of his son in a window and his immediate response is to turn off his son just like he did a TV and it works. So like... His response, seeing his dead son in the window, is just like, not right now, son. It's just, let's just turn off the trauma. Just <laughs> This this movie is so weird. Oh, right. Uh, this was the part where the little imp children showed up, right? They kind of look like the, from, from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, okay. Uh, lock, stock, and barrel? I about called the um, Rackshack and Penny, and I'm like, that's not <laughs> no, right. No, 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 no. It's not VeggieTales. Um, I thought one of them looked like the the big monster, like the where the wild the main monster are. in the where the wild things are. Yeah, um, yeah. They are referred to in the credits as little critter. <laughs> yeah, I like the little critters. I love the monster design in this because later we see uh, Roger breaks open a mirror after finding the painting in the garage that his aunt did. With a boy in the mirror. So he breaks it open. He sees this giant void. The thing that comes out to get him is like this really cool octopus tentacle, which grabs his arm and pulls him close. And he tries to get out. And like six different monster arms come out and try to grab him again. Like one is clearly like a lion beast. One is clearly like based on a crustacean. But... Each one is from a distinctly different creature. And I thought the the amount of time that goes into designing something that is so insignificant to the film, this it's really well done there. You get a lot of horror movies where it's very, you have like one character design and there's just a million of them. And for some movies that work, that work. Um, but like, I kind of miss the 1980s horror movies where you have so many different kinds of stuff and they're, they're practical effects and they're all nut and, and like. And that's, that's maybe one of the drawbacks of this film. Yes, it is a campy horror film. Yes, it is very fun. It's maybe throwing too much spaghetti at the wall. Uh, like there is so many ideas going on here. There's no cohesion to well, any of it. It's kind of like they pulled together a bunch of different horror tropes and just threw them all together to make it a scary movie. But I think personally, like, especially the eighties horror movies are not really, I don't really find them scary. Like, I don't know if they're supposed to be, or if they were supposed to be back then, like modern, it modern horror movies, even like the slasher movies with all the gore and stuff is not really scary to me necessarily as like the psychological ones where there is the idea of this thing that's happening, but nobody knows where it is or what it is. And so you, you have all this, all the like, oh, what is that one called? The Conjuring, where there's all these things happening and they don't know what's causing it. And, and so you don't really see a monster or any horror stuff happening. It's just 
you know something is happening in the background, but you never see it as the audience until the big climax at the end, something happens. So, so this is definitely horror comedy, so much to the fact that the director of this movie originally was just a straight horror director. And this movie worked out for him in a way that he went, oh, I don't, he, he kind of transitioned and started doing a couple straight comedy movies because he's like, oh, I guess I can do some comedy as well because of this middle ground movie. He was able to transition and do comedy. And you know what? I kind of like that horror as a genre, you can have levels. They don't all need to be scary. Sometimes they're just weird. Yes. So you guys know I have um, a, a huge... Um penchant i don't know what the word i'm looking for i i imagined the sentence in my head and i got past this point and now i forgot how to get into it uh so you guys know i have a love for the um the fast and the furious movies yeah you made us go see one because there's a tank sarah yeah and <laughs> his name is dwayne the rock johnson <laughs> i know that these are not good films but they are dumb and they are fun and they are a blast to watch. I feel like this this movie in terms of horror films, it's not a scary horror film, but it is dumb and it is fun. It's like it's like along the lines of the Gremlins, where that was supposed to be scary, but it was mostly just comedy, weird stuff with creepy little monsters. <laughs> Especially Gremlins 2. Um, yeah, Gremlins 2 for sure. Yeah, Gremlins 2 for sure. But kind of like also with the later Evil Dead movies, where once you get past like the first one, it just spirals out of control into nonsense. Um, but, but those sort of things were like, they're not necessarily super scary. They're not necessarily intelligent, like things like... Something like the Babadook where it's very smartly done and you're you're in suspense the whole time. But they're fun and it seems like the people that put them together are having fun doing it. And there's something enjoyable about watching a movie where it seems like everyone putting it together are enjoying themselves doing the choreography during the special effects, putting together this movie that is just weird and and gross and stupid. And, and Evil Dead, the later ones feel kind of like that. Gremlins 2 feels like that. Um, I would say, I'm trying to think of other ones that kind of fit in that, where it's just like, it's more... <laughs> Any of the Friday the 13th movies after the first one? Oh, oh, <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> the one with the mask. Now that you mentioned it, this, this film does feel very much like a group of friends got together and like, threw together a horror film because they wanted to make a fun horror film and work on a project together. Like, it does feel very much like a, a student film in that regard where they're not in it for the money. They're in it for the joy of creating something together. And I think I think in some ways it's better than a lot of modern horror movies I've seen recently in the fact that it, it doesn't take itself so seriously that it loses... Um, some of the enjoyment, because so many horror movies I've seen recently, like, it's just, here's, here's the, everything has to be so tense and so serious and stuff all the time that, like. Right. Or, like, <laughs> there's a million jump scares. Oh, I think it might be a political call. Oh, that's fun. Which, which, which politician do you think it is? Um, anyway, but, but then it's all formulaic, but it's taking itself so seriously that you're like, I'm bored. You're, I'm not bored in this. Whether it's good or bad or what, I'm not bored. It's, right. it's never boring. It is not boring. 
It is so fun to see where they're going to go with this, and it's very unpredictable. But yeah, like you mentioned with the, the modern horror films, so many of them are like, let's build tension, let's build tension, let's build tension. All right, jump scare. All right, now we reveal to the audience that it wasn't a real scare, so that they feel dumb having jumped, even though we forced them to jump. Yep, it was a friend hitting the window. Oops, now we have... Like, exposition dump for five minutes. Let's have a Skype call where we talk to this weird professor, and he's going to tell us about some demon. Let's do a modern horror film where everything is webcams, because we can't afford real cameras. We happen to find a book in this old house, and it explains all the scary stuff that should be happening that we haven't seen yet, and now we don't think it's all real. And now, Or let's just do a found footage film. Uh, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I like that this film is exploring this creative space in this house where anything can happen. And, like, anything does happen in this film. Uh, there's a point where Roger is running and then he falls off a cliff for no reason. The cliff has never been established before. It just appears. And then when he gets off the cliff, uh, he's standing in his kitchen. He looks behind him, and the cliff is just gone. Where did that Cliff Clavin go? Who knows? Um, I don't remember what we were talking about before we went off about horror movies, so... <laughs> we haven't talked about Big Ben much. That's true. We haven't talked about really any of the flashback stuff yet, and Big Ben is a big part of that. Well, I, thought so Sarah, I thought Sarah had something to say since she brought it up. Um, So Big Ben is... Bull from Night Court, and he is a... <laughs> Sorry. I will make you guys watch Night Court. I think my sister has the first season. Um, anyway, but the point is, is a very large man who is also a a soldier comrade of... Comrade. A soldier comrade? <laughs> they, well, I, I think say... they kind of establish him as, like, the action hero kind of soldier where nobody wants to volunteer to go first in this scary jungle where the enemy could be anywhere, no, and no. he's going to volunteer, and he goes out with his giant gun and just blows everybody away. At no point do they establish him as an action hero. Well, Every character he... that he interacts with is like, oh, that's big, dumb Ben. A lot of brawn, but no braids going on up there. Well, I was going to say he's Roger's friend from the military, but I don't think they're very good friends. No, they're brothers in arms. Um, They're friends of necessity. Like, I get that friendship in that, like, they're in a really bad situation in any other situation. They would not be friends, but the war put them together and they need to rely on each other to survive. Ben's kind of an idiot. Oh, he's... An enormous idiot. And kind of drags Roger into stupid situations, and Roger's just like, I just gotta follow Ben, because Ben's big and confident, and Roger's almost little, his lackey. It's because Ben has the machine gun. He's the machine gunner of the crew. Ben thinks he's the big bad hero. Right. Everyone so else he, is like, this guy's He thinks he can just go okay. in anywhere and, and he'll be fine and blow everybody away, but really... He's, he's also very idiot. bloodthirsty, where like... In the jungle, where they're going through enemy territory and trying to find a path of safety, he calls out to Charlie to get them to come and attack them. And lo and behold, he gets shot a bunch, because of course he does. Uh, which leads to Roger's major trauma, which we can get into. Well, one of his major traumas. <laughs> well, yes. Ben, having been shot by the Viet Cong, is dying on the ground 
and Roger goes over to him, and Ben begs for Roger to finish him off. Because he doesn't want to get captured by the enemy, he wants to die on the battlefield here and now, and Roger can't kill him. And in Roger's mind, this was a moment of cowardice that he feels guilty for, because the enemy does come, and they drag Ben off, and Ben screams out to Roger that he'll never forgive him. But watching this, like, that moment is not a moment of cowardice. It's really hard to kill someone you know and kind of like. Well, and that, and he, the reason he left is because he was trying to find the rest of the group to come help take him away so that they could heal him and maybe he wouldn't die and like we like we talked about they didn't necessarily like each other so it wasn't like oh well we're best friends i don't want to kill you but at the same time it's like you're face to face with somebody that you've known and have been fighting with and just to go up and kill them one-on-one -on -one is and in that situation if a friend or someone i know was begging for me to kill them I don't think I could do it. If a friend not because or, I'm, and, or Mark and Sarah. <laughs> not, not because I'm afraid to kill them. It's just that that's, it goes against my morality as a human being. I'll stab you. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> we all it, know. It, it, <laughs> that problem has never crossed my mind. If I needed you to murder me... I I wouldn't even have to ask twice. You would just say, yes, which knife would you like? I'd, I'd do the biggest one, so it'd be quick. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> would you like to try out this guillotine? Yes. I'll make sure you're the first one to use it on so it's sharp, because oh, you don't want to be and, the last person. Unfortunately, listeners cannot see the amount of joy on her face when you said <laughs> that. I've always wanted to build a fake guillotine for a show, because I think it'd be fun. It would be fun. But, like, that's that set Roger off here. It's like, that's the reason he has to write his Vietnam book. That's the thing that he can't get past and why this story has to come out of him is that he couldn't kill his friend. And, like, he needs therapy, is what I'm saying. He doesn't need to write a book. He needs to go and process this guilt. It's the 80s. There's no therapy. Right. But because it's the 80s, I thought, in modern day, this problem would be solved by social media. He needs a story to tell. It's not a published book. He can just post a blog somewhere, and that fills this need for him. The only reason he's writing a book is because it's the 80s and the technology doesn't exist yet. Maybe the haunted house isn't trying to get him to kill himself. Maybe this is some sort of hardcore therapy to get him to face his trauma. And it works in the end. That's true. So are you suggesting that the aunt couldn't face her trauma and chose death instead? She, she didn't make it through... The course. I think, well, but in this <laughs> story, the aunt, the aunt comes out to tell him all of this at the beginning, so maybe she was part of the therapy and her death was faked. Maybe the aunt, her trauma was she was on that scuba trip with the uncle and she shot him with the harpoon gun. Oh, I would love that. But she, now she we need just, a it's a twist. This so we can see all the back, a prequel sequel. There is yeah. a sequel, but it's not completely related. Um, anyway, it, it's different character. Anyway. House 2, the house that kills people? There, It is House 2. I saw it while I was looking at stuff. <laughs> there's there's like three or four of them, but I... Anyway, 
But there's also an Amityville movie where there's a haunted lamp. Maybe we should watch that one. Okay. Anyway, the point was... I did expect you to say there's also a anime version. I, just, I thought she was going to say animated something. Anyway, mm-hmm. but the point was the ant wasn't fully committed to the process. She was only halfway in. And if you're only halfway committed to therapy, you die apparently. Just couldn't make it through the full course. Or maybe she's just hiding in the closet and this was all. Of course. They're it just, all comes back to the closet. They're get, the, the, the firefighters are going to put out the fire, open a closet, and there's just going to be a creepy old lady. To be like, hi. <laughs> but Harold shot her then. It's true. Oh no. Harold. <laughs> we can get to the final scene of this film because this film doesn't really have a traditional like denouement after the climax of like where the story wraps up it's just like the climax happens and then it's over this has a sidcom freeze frame ending but yes exactly there are a lot of the 80s movies were like that too where it was like here's the big ending and now here's the credits and there wasn't like a final scene to see everybody living happily afterwards i'm just glad it didn't have a 1980s fake out ending like, yeah, uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. Though, uh, so Roger having blown up the skeleton of the, the zombie de- decomposing corpse that is uh, whatever, uh, with a grenade in his house, uh, the house is on fire and he walks out with his son to his ex wife who just pulled up in a taxi cab. She finally actually got there. Like, right. because her son runs ago. to his mother and it goes back to Roger. And his face here is just like, all shucks. And then freeze frame, we're done. He's just like, guess the house is on fire. Oops. Ah, uh, I really did save our son. Well, and what was it? Before he blows up Big Ben. It's like Ben is winning the fight and doing all this stuff, and he w- what was he, he was going to stab him or shoot him or something. Takes and the fingers then off. The, and then it just yeah, it just didn't work. And he's like, "Oh, you can't scare me anymore, Ben!" And shoves a grenade in his chest cavity. <laughs> like what I saw just here. Suddenly, he's not scared, even though he's been chased around all day. So this is an important part of the film, which I only caught because it's a very quick scene they cut to it and then immediately cut away uh they caught on the second viewing so the situation is this ben has his son and ben is holding a knife to his son's throat and ben says to him either you kill yourself or i will kill your son so this is the house trying to get roger to kill himself roger refuses and goes to attack ben and ben slashes the knife at roger and roger's hand is cut off that's the quick sequence. Is it yeah. his hand falling off? And then Roger looks down at his hand and sees that it's fine. Meaning this is all an illusion and the house can't hurt him. That's where he gets the confidence and that's why he's not scared anymore. I thought it was just the fingers, but the whole hand makes But I knew it was something with the hand where he sees it at first and then he's like, oh no, my hand's still here. I guess I, and I actually had watched this twice, but even then it's I, it's been a week and a half since I watched it. It's, so it's, I forgot it's like some of it. Is, it is less than a second seeing the hand being cut off and then Roger raising up his hand again. So, so it seems like, because I think a lot of the damage that Roger's done, because he gets a bruise on his face and stuff like that, he's actually done to himself. The What about the chest scars? Oh, that's right. Maybe it's they can't hurt him, but they can't do any, like, permanent damage. Like, okay, the scars so they can't can heal. Kill. It can't kill yeah, him. The, the garden tools were trying to harm him. But, but they also could have just been, like, obviously chasing him around is very scary. 
but maybe they would have stopped before they actually hit him. I mean, it's it's very silly. If an axe is chasing you around, grab it by the handle. An axe is mostly a handle. Um, or maybe they could hurt him before and now he's just so now that he's got his son his fear is less and so the impact is less to the point where he's like nope you have you have no shoot what is that line from labyrinth oh um at the very end yeah you You have have no no power over me or something it's like that who do because i i always go back to the um the one from home alone i'm not afraid anymore Just before the old man walks up and he runs away screaming. Uh-huh. Huh. Well, that's what he shouts at the boiler. The weird boiler yeah. in his basement. But yeah, that in a nutshell is this crazy-ass movie from the 80s. Very dumb. Very fun. Let's go on to game. Our first game is the pitch game, a game in which we put together two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So Mark, you're going to start us off describing house in terms of other things. I'm really sure you said pitch game, but that's not what it sounded like, so I had to start It laughing. almost never <laughs> sounds like that, and that's kind of the fun of it. All right. Uh, anyway, I'm going to go with the two big hitters so that you don't steal them. <laughs> well, they'll probably come up again. We'll they probably see. will. So my first one, because it's a movie where an author seeks solitude in order to write his next book, but ultimately sinks further into his own psychosis, meets a schlocky horror film with rubbery looking monster costumes and a strange plot where the protagonist knows there is something going on, but no one else believes him until they see it for themselves. Okay, the second one is literally any horror film. Yep. Well, the first one is The Shining. (laughs) Right. Yep. Yeah, I specifically left off The Shining because I thought it was too obvious. I'm glad one of us got it. I didn't want to use it because I thought it was too obvious, but... Roger really is kind of like a Stephen King stand-in, isn't he? A hundred percent. And guess what? If Stephen King wrote a novel about his time in the military, I wouldn't read it. Um, if Stephen King had those pecs, I think he'd uh, cameo in more of his movies. I don't know. Have you seen a young Stephen King? I have not. Was this before he got hit by a car? I I don't know. I was making a joke. <laughs> I haven't either. Okay. Rubber uh... monsters. Rubber um, monsters, rubber, nobody believes them, but they exist. horror film, rubber monsters. Troll 2. What is the one, the evil dead is what I was trying to think of. No. Give us hints. Because you uh, you described literally yes. any horror film. They are creatures not of this world. Killer clowns from outer space. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, pretty great. Pretty that movie's kind of fun. So that was The Shining meets Killer Clowns yes. from Outer Space? Alrighty. Have you seen that? I have seen I that. I have seen it. It's very dumb and it's very fun. Yes, exactly. Alright, my first one here. A film featuring supernatural monsters trying to capture a child, a nosy neighbor who becomes part of the otherworldly investigation, and a very creepy painting. Meets... A 1986 film about an author writing a novel about his past, which we see through flashbacks with characters in pursuit of finding a missing boy and a healthy dose of childhood trauma. Uh, uh, Dorian Gray. (laughs) No. I want to say the poltergeist for the first one, but I don't know if that's correct. 
Um, hmm. I don't. I can't. I can't think of a painting in that one. Is the problem right? Uh, so a hint for the first one is that it is a sequel. It's I uh, Ghostbusters two. It is Ghostbusters. <laughs> that was my other thought for that one. <laughs> right. And the second one is another thing. So Sarah will think of it. Big fish. <laughs> uh, no more childhood trauma. Uh, um, does Big Fish not have childhood trauma? No. Uh, more. This film has more. More. So I'm like, there's childhood trauma. Like he hates his. And father. you already said that you left The Shining off, so it can't be I that one. Trauma. Writing a book um, about his The hint for this one. The I want to say all of the film is a flashback for this movie. Brideshead revisited. Hmm. <laughs> there's um. All right. We'll we'll get. These are bigger heads, should give it away eventually. There's a big pie-eating scene. It's about finding a dead body. Oh, the body. No, I'm sorry. The body <laughs> The body is what the book's called. Um, Stand By Me. Stand By Me is correct. So this was Ghostbusters 2 meets Stand By Me. I don't remember anything about pie in that movie, but... Oh, it's, um... It's a story that Wesley Crusher tells his friends. <laughs> Before he goes off on Starship Enterprise. <laughs> That's right. About a boy who who was teased for being fat and got revenge by eating all the pie in a pie eating contest and then vomiting over everybody. Um, I think it, the short story is actually just called The Body. I think that's, that's why probably I got true. Confused. Anyway, Sarah, start. Uh, give us your first one. Okay, because it is about a haunted house that terrorizes the occupants with otherworldly horrors, versus a man trying to—well, not a man, a male <laughs> character trying to use ingenuity and technology to protect himself and his belongings from threats to his house. <laughs> his, I, my immediate thought for the second one was mousetrap. But is it Home Alone? It is Home Alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> it just felt I like... Got, I got thrown off by not a man, but not Yeah, a right? I was like, um, okay. I was picturing like, okay, so it's a male animal character. <laughs> Just, it was, I was I was thinking the great mouse detective, but she said it was to protect the house, and I was but like, "Well, it, it, that's it kind not... of felt like Home Alone. If instead of burglars, it was ghosts." <laughs> that's not far off. All right, so the first one, um, it's about a haunted house, the haunted mansion. No. Um, is it Monster House? No. Think older. No. Ooh. And is live it action. House? Is it House to the Second Story? No. House on Hunted Hill, or whatever that was called. No. Uh, Amityville Horror. Thank you, yes. <laughs> oh, nice. Carl's just guessing movies about horror stuff. Well, Amityville Horror is another one I considered, yeah. but didn't use. So Amityville Horror meets Home Alone. All right, Mark, your second one. I forgot it was my turn again. Uh, it's a film where a family loses their child to another dimension within their own home. Monsters appear in the bedroom closet, and in the end, the hero is able to enter the alternate reality and rescue their kid and bring them back to their own realm. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move on, move on. Yep, yeah, know. everybody knows what that one is. Uh, meets a horror movie with strange edits using jaunty, upbeat music in between the scary scenes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You guys are still wrong. So is it Poltergeist meets an American Werewolf in London? Which everyone should know because we've done both of those on this podcast. And we only agreed on one of them. All right, my next one. You should know one of these. The other one might need a lot of head. So here we go. Since this is a film about an author struggling to finish a novel under a deadline but constantly being interrupted, a neighbor running a bait-and-switch scam on him, a spear gun shooting an intruder, and frustration escalating to plans for murder, meets a 1980s film with a character moving into a new home and meeting the spirits that live there, complete with trips to the spirit world and parts of the home leading to large open spaces seemingly at random. Howl's Moving Castle. No. I want to... Oh, I, now I can't... Mm. Uh, what was I, that Ben I want to say Rear they... Window for the first one, but that's not right because that's the, that's the other one with the guy with the broken leg, Jimmy Stewart. Correct. Um, Sarah is close. What the Ben Stiller say? one where he tries to kill his landlord? Oh? I don't remember what it's I, called. I was thinking the Johnny Depp one, but... Um, so, Sarah, the first one does star Ben Stiller. Hmm. Zoolander. Oh, yeah, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Secret <laughs> Life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> That's a uh, good movie. I haven't seen it. You should. Dodgeball. <laughs> no, what is that one where he and Drew Barrymore, like... Kill the landlord or try to kill you, the landlord. You got the right film. Okay, but you just what is need it? the title. I don't know the landlord, the apartment, the. Oh, it's it's like an apartment if it was split in half. The duplex. Duplex is duplex. correct. Duplex. I have never heard of this movie. I watched it and it's awful. It is. It's really bad, but it is. It's very much about a writer who can't write because his neighbor keeps interrupting him. Because uh, that uh, old so lady's th- evil. The second one, you guys should know, we did it for the podcast. I can't even remember now because I was so I, yeah, focused on the duplex. Alright, 1980s film, uh, <laughs> characters moving to a new home, seeing spirits, trips to the spirit world, uh, home leading to open spaces at random. Poltergeist. No. Um, spirit world. There's a book about... Never ending story. Nope. There's a book? It's about... Cal- oh! Beetlejuice. Yeah, correct. Beetlejuice. <laughs> That's what I'm going to watch tonight. Uh, so that was duplex means Beetlejuice. Sarah. I was going to wait for Carl to finish his sentence before I start throwing out guesses, but... <laughs> um. Okay, so this is that movie that Mark described earlier about haunted house and closets and a missing child. Sure, 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 sure. Versus a... Versus? Versus. Are these films going up against each other? Yes. Um, A suspense horror movie where a married couple's or a a couple, a a couple that's been married in a relationship, relationship is put to the test and has issues after their child goes missing and um, husband starts having um, visions that he has seen the child everywhere. Oh. This um, is the one I don't think you're going to get. Right. Do you think we've seen it? No. Oh, it's, well. it's a cult classic and is referenced some. God, a missing child scene a lot. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, no. I'm the film I'm thinking of is Minority Report. No, this is much older. Uh, though that does have a broken marriage about a guy seeing his son everywhere. It has a somewhat young Donald Sutherland in it. Uh, uh Clute. <laughs> Well, I was going to say Invasion <laughs> of the Body Snatchers. No. I don't remember any kids in that movie. 
uh, Clute is the oldest or youngest Donald Sutherland I know. I'm out of Donald Sutherland movies. Okay. Do you want me I, to? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The mo- movie is called Don't Look Now. Well, <laughs> that's just telling me not to watch it's it. It's called Donald, it's Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie and their child is is gone and he keeps thinking he sees his child in a raincoat and in the end it turns out it is a little person in a raincoat who turns around and stabs him to death. What? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh. Um, look it up later. It's very strange. Mm, now I kind of want to watch it. It also has a very weird sex scene, so skip that okay. part. Okay. If you so don't want was, a sex scene with Donald We didn't Sutherland. say it, but that was Poltergeist Poltergeist meets, meets... Don't look um, now. Don't look now. Thank you. Mark, go ahead. All right. <laughs> uh, this is a movie where the protagonist befriends a happy-go-lucky character portrayed by George Wendt and drags him into dangerous situations that he is not a part of. After these traumatic experiences, George's character does not seem phased at all. Anything with George Wendt. So now, Mark, are you going to stop referencing films we've already done? Nope. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Uh, Meets... A Vietnam vet suffering from PTSD, defending himself when he believes he is under attack, is investigated by the police and is reunited with a buddy from the war to help him calm down and return to reality. So the first one is Man of the House. <laughs> Sarah's favorite movie ever. Uh-huh. I couldn't even come up with that one because I blocked it from my brain. Oh, really? Because you rated it a five. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Let's see. So Vietnam being rejoined with a friend from the war to come back to reality. Oops, I got gravity. Oops. <laughs> I wanted uh, my immediate thoughts were um, Forrest Gump. Um, hmm. Or I've never seen all of that movie. I found it incredibly boring. Uh, what about? Yeah, it's it's fine. It's pretty good, but it it doesn't flow very well. Or God, what's the Viet? Um, I was just going to say Vietnam War, the movie. (laughs) Um, No, Apocalypse Now was the movie I was trying to think of. Oh, that is not correct. Right. Yeah, I'm Um, blanking. Give us some hints. uh, There are several movie sequels to it. Uh, Rambo. Correct. Kind of. Yeah. Except that's not the name of the movie. First Blood. (laughs) First Blood Blood is the first one. The First Blood is the deepest. So, my next one. Uh-oh. Wait, was when that he uh, laughs before he says it? That's a good sign. No, I was making I was laughing at my own dumb joke about the first blood. Anyway, but I was man in the house meets first blood is what I was trying to say. Now I can move on to my next one. I think we want to see that movie. <laughs> Again, I think you guys should know one of these. The other one might be a mystery. So I got duplex, so <laughs> Yeah. Uh a property featuring a man in a creative field moving into a new home and finding that it is bigger on the inside and trying to document the experience, which focuses on the themes of insanity, murder, and death. Meets a 1980s film about a writer who served in Vietnam, featuring scenes of combat, a large, dumb, combat-hungry machine gunner character, and the writer forced to kill for the first time at the end of the film. Uh, is it 13 Ghosts? No. Ah. Winchester Mystery Hat. Uh, that's a real thing. <laughs> they made a Winchester movie. <laughs> Uh, so, the first one, I did specifically say property, because it has not been made into a, f- a film, and I don't think it could. Uh, it is... Betrayal! 
The, uh, it is a book, which is why I think Sarah might know it. Wool. No. I did not finish wool. I just... I, I did. It was fine. I couldn't do another one, though. So a house bigger on the inside. House of Leaves? It is House of Leaves. Uh, the, the second one you guys should know. It's a fairly famous war film. I don't, I don't remember, what? I don't remember what the description was. Uh, it's a Vietnam war film. Just guess those and you should nail it. We were soldiers. Nope. I haven't seen that many war films. Um, that one with Nicolas Cage. Uh, think Born to Kill and a peace sign. Apocalypse Now. Nope. <laughs> uh, uh, um... Platoon. Half the movie is boot camp. I, I have this image in my head, and now I lost it. Um, oh, oh, the one with him yelling! The one with... <laughs> the one with the yelling, yes! <laughs> no, the guy, the guy, the bald guy. Only queers and steers come from Texas, boy. You yes. don't look like a cow to me. Yeah, that one, um, f Full Metal Jacket? Yes, correct. Mm. Full metal jacket. Looks like you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. What is that actor's name? He died. He did die. Um, actually, that wasn't supposed to be an actor in the film. Yeah, he was just, he was a, he was He was supposed to train, guy. he was supposed to train the guy yeah. to do that scene, but the guy who was supposed to do it wasn't as good as he was. Yeah. Anyway, but yes, that was House of Leaves meets Full Metal Jacket. Somehow I had, because I was thinking that whole thing, that that guy was from Apocalypse Now, so I must have gotten those confused. Because you kept giving hints, and I'm like, yeah, but I already guessed that movie. <laughs> so right. When I was writing this, I had originally put down Apocalypse Now, and I started writing it, and I kept switching back to Full Metal Jacket 2. <laughs> like, those films in my mind are so similar. Anyway, Mark, I think you have one more. Uh, oh, I do. <laughs> I left this one till last because it's probably the most obscure. I mean, they're references that you definitely will know, but they are less obvious to be connected to this movie. Uh, Alright, so because this movie uh, has a scene where the hero faces off against an old ally after one of them betrays the other, the enemy is defeated when one of his own grenades is lodged in his ribcage before it explodes. Meets um, <laughs> uh, a property where a staircase in one scene reminds me of the staircase in this house, kids diving into a pool that disappeared, and a child being lost to another dimension through a portal inside the family home. Did you reference Poltergeist again? <laughs> Harry no. Potter. No. Kids diving into a pool that disappeared. Never-ending story. The never-ending story. <laughs> In the second one, he goes into a pool. We didn't watch the second one. <laughs> well, I didn't say these were things we had watched. I know. Um, Miss Peregrine's Home for Imaginary Children. <laughs> so, the second one is... Not from a single, it's it's a property, but it's several different okay. things within the same... Erie, Indiana. Is it like, um, The Chronicles of Narnia? No, Twilight it's not Zone. a movie. Well, those are also books, but fair. Oh, well, yeah. Twilight Zone? Hooray! Ah, very nice, okay. I said okay. Erie, Indiana, which is kind of the children. You still didn't yeah, guess the it's... first one. Oh, <laughs> so is so weird. Which is where I was going to guess. Uh, so remind us of the first one. Where the hero faces off against an old ally after one of them betrays the other. Captain America Civil War. The enemy is defeated when one of his own grenades is lodged in his ribcage. <laughs> I don't... Oh, wait. I want to say... Oh, no, that's... Terminator? <laughs> no. 
don't it's know why I wanted more, to say more recent than that. I don't know why I wanted to say Pirates of the Caribbean because I'm like, <laughs> that's not a grenade, that's a gun. Uh, you wanted to say that because it was the correct answer. So. Yeah, it's it's not really a grenade as much as it is like a small bomb, like a well, link style bomb. It's basically what a grenade was back then. Correct. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to our second game, which is alternate taglines. A word or phrase from the word or phrase from the movie poster of the film, which encapsulates the theme of the movie, though possibly misses the point. So I'm gonna start us off here. Sarah, are you looking up the real ones? I am trying to. Okay. But it helps if I can get the right house thing. There we go. Alrighty. So I'm gonna start us off here. Do keep in mind that I wrote these from my perspective of the film, where it was the real hell he was going in, and not just like this other house dimension. Uh, but that'll come up later, because uh, my first one is house. There's more than just skeletons in these closets. Uh, yeah, I. You know what? I used a skeleton in the closet thing during Poltergeist, so I couldn't use it again for this one. Very nice. Alrighty. Um. Let's, Sarah, do you have the real ones, or should we go to Mark? Here's one. Ding dong, you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) It has so much to do with the house. It just... All right. Uh, Mark, what do you got? Well, we've made reference to a specific other movie that this very much reminds us of. I said, all war and no play makes Roger go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't me. Well... Never mind. It's pretty great. Um, my next one. House. A new home complete with horrible monsters and even worse neighbors. Aww. Oh, that kind of goes... So, this one is... This one's a lie. This one is one of the real (laughs) ones and it's a lie. Because it says, You are cordially invited to spend an evening with Roger Cobb and his friends. Don't come alone. And it's a lie because Roger Cobb only has one friend in this movie. And it's not even really a friend. He's just using Norm from Cheers. Yeah. He kept telling everybody he wanted solitude and he didn't want anyone to come over. But he does not have multiple friends. It's literally just Norm from Cheers. That's the only person he tells that to. He only has one friend and it's Norm from Cheers and all they do is hunt a ghost in a closet and look at cameras. You don't want a crazy lady that just drops off her kid and leaves? That is not a friend. (laughs) That is that lady. A child endangerment. Someone needs to call the cops on her. <laughs> that lady is a child endangerment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is it me again? Uh, no, I'm going first because I have more of them. Sure. So, my next one. House. New on the market. A two and a half story Victorian style portal to hell. I mean, how much are they marking it down? Because, like, houses are expensive. That's true. I mean, just think of all that space. You In some states, you have to declare if a house is haunted. Mm. They're what? Probably in California? Now, hold on. How do you prove a house is haunted? Like if someone got <laughs> murdered there, or if yes. there's been any... Yes, you have to report if somebody died on the premises. I grant you, I don't think you get need to report if it mm. is haunted. No, no, no. I think in some states you do. I'll look it up. Um... <laughs> There's only... How do you prove a haunting? If people have said that they have strange activity going in their house when they sell the house. Um, this one sounds like a Mark one. Horror Uh-oh. has found a new home. Yeah. Bow, 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 bow. 
Bow, bow. I'm trying to find pictures of this house now to see if it's actually Victorian. <laughs> so I thought it was something else that I can't remember the name of, but uh, I looked up what the Bates Motel was because it reminded me yeah. of that. And also like the Adams Family type style house. Those two are Victorian, even if this one isn't. That's what I based it on. Hmm. Anyway, um, uh, Mark, do you have one more? I have one more house. His house is a very, very scary bad house. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but Sarah will I know think it, you I bet. <laughs> I think you need to get the um, rhythm. It's a very, very, very bad house. See? Sarah gets it. I'm just not going to sing it for you. It's, it's, um, what's their names? Crosby. Stills, Nash, but not Young. <laughs> yes. Young wasn't there yet. Um, okay. Only in one, two, three, four, five, six states do you have to disclose a death on a property. Okay. And in New York's co courts will rescind a home sale if the seller creates or perpetuates a reputation if the house is haunted and takes unfair advantage of the buyer's ignorance of the home's ghostly reputation. <laughs> cool. And only uh, four states deal with paranormal activity in their real estate <laughs> disclosure laws. All right. Fair enough. You win this round. Uh, my last <laughs> one here um, is simply house. Home is where the hell mouth is. No, that that's... sounds a lot like the one that she just read before. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that was Sunnydale. Sunnyville, Sunnydale. Yeah, wherever um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer goes to school. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to our final game, which is the TV guide game. A description of the plot of the film that you would find in a Netflix or TV guide, uh, which accurately describes the plot that possibly misses the point. Sarah, you are going to start us off here. Tell us the plot of House. Norm from Cheers regrets trying to make new friends instead of just going to the bar. I mean, uh... yeah, he could very well just be Norm from Cheers. All right, Mark, go ahead. Oh my, I forgot that this one was really long, apparently. Settle in, everyone. <laughs> All right. A struggling realtor is excited at the opportunity to sell the home of a recently deceased elderly woman when he learns that her nephew intends to live there. While conducting a tour of the old home, the realtor tries to murder the new owner and make it look like an accident. But after failing in this attempt, he devises a plan to use the old lady's haunted house story and ghostly special effects to scare the young man away. So it Wait. is duplex. Did you just make this whole movie a Scooby-Doo plot? Yep. <laughs> And is that realtor named Old Man Jenkins? <laughs> um, I don't remember. Did I, did we look up his name? I I don't, I don't think, think it is. That's just a Scooby Doo reference. Anyway, I, I had a friend in college saying. we used to call Old Man Jenkins. Here we go. My first one. <clears throat> An established author struggles to write a novel in a new genre, but eventually gives up on that and burns his house to the ground. A man, <laughs> a man's attempt of doing some house cleaning goes horribly wrong. <laughs> Mark, go ahead. While attempting to write a new bestseller, Roger's solitude is constantly interrupted by nosy neighbors as well as the ghosts of his past. Ah. A kidnapped child is finally rescued when his father gives in and becomes a murderer. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Big Ben was already dead by then, so... Mm, it's does still that really murder. <laughs> yes. Do, do zombies have personhood? Uh, so at least the way Ben was talking, he kept saying, you should have killed me when you had the chance. So, like, the implication is he can still die. Anyway, uh, we are... 
Yep. Uh, moving on to our review scale. The first, of course, is our infamous potato scale, where we tell our audience what they can expect to feel while watching this film in terms of our relationship with potatoes. And, of course, I have not prepared. So, whoever would like to may start us off here. So, first of all, I do not remember what I originally made this category for, but I'm going to give it a Mr. Potato Head, which is... Oh, yes. I know exactly yep. what you made it for. We all contributed it to it. It says but right I completely, there what you made it for. No, I what completely movie did agree. It go with? Please, yep. please describe it. Um, the category is don't think too much. <laughs> um, and I think this movie is about 10 different types of insane. And if you try to unravel those types of insane, you're going to make yourself as crazy as that. So I think you should just enjoy the madness and the colors and um, the the insanity and the music and the fat Miss Piggy wife <laughs> and <laughs> the evil version of Thing from the Addams Family <laughs> and just go with it. Just just let it take you. Just let the movie take you. Um, so yeah, Mr. Potato Head, just, just don't think about it. Just yep. enjoy the ride. Um, and then I did Gold Potato because you know what? Huh. When Big Ben explodes, you know what? I am happy for Roger when Big Ben explodes. And I'm happy for Roger when those yard things cut off Miss Piggy's head. And you know what? When he does his freed frame sitcom ending, I am happy for Roger. I am happy that he blew up his, his house and his military ghost friend. And you know what? Good for you, Roger. I'm proud of you. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. I am... I'm right there with you. Um, so I I said I didn't prepare. The the one note I have at the very end of this is this is the quintessential Mr. Potato Head movie. So Sarah, from what I remember, when we made that one, it was about how a, it was a bunch of things. One, Mr. Potato Head is a fun toy, but also. Why is he he a potato? Let's not think about he's just dumb and he's fun. Also, Mr. Potato Head fairly hollow on the inside. There isn't he he only he literally only goes skin deep, which exactly what this film is doing. There is a facade that is dumb and fun. Don't dig too much into it. There's nothing there. And I completely agree with you. This is so dumb, so fun. He is a Mr. Potato Head. There is another one that I just added that I'm adding to our list of ribbon potatoes. Uh, this is a quirky and fun variant uh, of this type of genre. Maybe it'll just go for campy films, but I just think this it is a little offbeat. It's a little oh. quirky, and it's just... It's just for fun. Junior. Apparently Junior was the movie I created Mr. Potato Head for. Ah, that makes a lot of that sense. That does make a lot of sense. But yeah, those are my two. This so this would be a Mr. Potato Hell Mr. <laughs> Potato Hell. Uh, Mr. Potato, Potato Head. Yeah. Ribbon potatoes, which I imagine are just plastic ribbon potatoes. <laughs> that sounds tasty. Mm. Yum yum. It's it's the like ones they put in the window you can't eat. I think out of the three of us, I was the only one who actually wrote down answers before we started talking, and I already had Potato Head written down there, <laughs> so I guess we're all in the same frame of mind for this. 
for all the same reasons you already mentioned, I guess I don't need to repeat all of those, but it there's just I I know I sent Sarah a message after the first time and said, "What did you make me watch?" <laughs> and and it's the I mean, it's one of those where that's the kind of thing that I actually enjoy watching though. It's a terrible movie and it's not I mean, it's not great made necessarily, except that I think they did that on purpose. So as yeah, long as you just go into it knowing that's what it's going to be, you'll still have fun watching it. So I, I definitely had Mr. Potato Head. I had written down Red Robin Fries, and now I'm trying to remember why. Uh, <laughs> but I think we have that in I mean, I our list as better than expected. And I think that was mostly just because it was a bad movie, but I still enjoyed watching it and was happy that I actually got to see it. So also, even though it's yeah. not a great movie, it was still fun to watch it and that made it better than I thought it would be. I also feel like you guys don't always trust my picks from my childhood. I feel like you go in being like, eh, we're not sure about this. So, uh, for a nostalgia podcast, I question films I don't have nostalgia for and you pick pretty obscure film. But... <laughs> But that's what makes it fun. But I've not been disappointed in any of your picks. I mean, I picked Surf Ninjas. I forced you guys to watch Surf Ninjas. Yeah, but you it did wasn't that on a good purpose. Film. I also forced you to watch Warriors of Virtue. So say, what I'm saying, Sarah, is we're all punishing each other with this podcast. Feel free to do whatever. Mine have been obscure and a like you've enjoyed them for the most part, but they have been obscure and weird and I don't always do the best job of giving you an intro to them when I'm like hey we're gonna watch this movie yeah I mean you I remember you mentioning this film when we did Gremlins last Christmas yeah so you've been you've been trying to get us to watch this film for nearly a year if at least a year uh because I think you brought it up even before then yeah but but do you see how Gremlins made this come to mind? Uh, yeah, but you've been trying to get us to watch it a year. You didn't describe anything about it. You just, you said, it's a movie called House. And I kept making a Hugh Laurie joke. And you're like, no. But you literally told us <laughs> nothing about it. I think I said it was a 1980s horror movie and that was it. I yeah, think. I think that sounds about right. So yeah, that doubt of you is just... <laughs> I don't know literally anything about well, this that, film. And that's exactly it, because she says 1980s horror movie, so I'm coming into it expecting, like, Friday the 13th, the Nightmare on oh, Elm no. Street-like horror movie, and it was not really one of those. So, no. so but yeah, um, I'm going to give this movie... We're done with potatoes, right? Yeah, let me just... Let's get to our rewatchability scale, scale from 0 to 10, and should our listeners go back and watch the film, Sarah, take us away. I'm giving it an 8.5. Like, this is not a movie that is, like, the pinnacle of art and is going to change your life. But this is so much fun to watch. And this is especially a great movie if you're having, like, a Halloween movie party, but you want it for, like, a large group of people that, like, you don't have, like, you have friends that, like, aren't really big into, like, super scary movies, but they love to have, like, a fun Halloween time. This is a great one to stick on and watch with a group because it's stupid and fun. And yeah, there's a little bit of like jumping out of closet, like like weird monsters. But it, like, you're not going to go home and have a nightmare. You're just going to have a great time in a group watching a, a monster movie. Like stick it on. Watch this. Watch Gremlins 2. Maybe watch Beetlejuice. Have yourself a great night. Yeah. Sarah, could I tell you? 
I had a number in mind when I was watching this film because I really enjoyed watching it. Um, even the first run through, it, it was weird and like random shit keeps coming up throughout the film out of nowhere. But it's a very fun film and it's not boring. And I thought in my brain, I can't, I even though this film knows what it is yeah. and it is very good at being what it is trying to be, I can't give it a 10. It's not good enough for a 10. And what I came up with to justify this is they hit the mark perfectly, but they weren't aiming all that high to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and so the number I came down to was an 8.5. So we are in complete agreement on our rating for this film. This is a movie 8.5 and a party 10, right? I Yeah. I mean, especially if it's not like a movie watching party and just want something on for like atmosphere and for people to jump in and out. This has enough weird segments that it's going to bring people in and then you can have a conversation, see the weird thing on the screen and just have a good time. This is a movie where people have had maybe some alcoholic beverages and too much food and they just want to like laugh and maybe talk about parts of the movie but you don't really have to like focused and be silent the, right, that right. makes it a party 10 movie yeah yeah don't focus on this movie we all called it a mr potato head but but like if you want to get together with your friends and laugh at a fish being shot with a shotgun <laughs> party 10 oh boy this film has everything for you then this feels like have you guys seen the SNL sketches <laughs> with Stefan? Oh, I don't like him. But this is a Stefan of a movie. This is like, this has a fish getting shot with a shotgun and a fat Muppet wife and, and a skeleton in a closet and a hot Swedish woman and a kidnapped son and like... We can skip over why I don't like Stefan and move on to Mark. Please give us your review. So I, I, I did write down a number earlier and... So normally what I will do, as we have discussed several other times, is now that we have such a backlog building, I try to compare it to other movies and look at what I gave them and decide if I think this was better or worse than those. And usually I'll put down a number beforehand and then go look at the old ratings and see if I need to change it. This one, I'm looking at the old ratings and I've just realized you can't really compare it to any other movies because it's just so craziness. Mark's just going to give it the number I. So, <laughs> right. Um, I, I had originally written down a six and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure you're both going to be so surprised about that. I just, I, I, I really liked the movie. It was fun, just goof, but I, I feel like there are other movies of that same genre that do a better job. But having said that, you are definitely correct that it would be good as a party movie or just sit down with a group of friends. I guess the difference is right now we're all watching it separately by ourselves and it's not a movie that I would just sit down and watch on my own very often. So as a party movie, yeah, that would bring the number up a bit. So I think from, from that standpoint, I'll bring it up to an eight and I'm not going to compare it to any of the other things on my list because it's just so different. But yeah, I will give that an eight. For basically all the reasons we've all said already. It, for people who have not seen it, hopefully this review gives them an idea of the craziness they're getting into if they do decide to watch it. Yeah. So it's that much different that like, it's not like it's an A movie that I would give an 8 that will be like one of the really good movies they'll ever see. But it's something that's worth watching just if you want to have fun and watch a movie. 
That was exactly my mindset, is that I don't want to rate it a 10 because it's going to overhype it. And if people go and watch it, they're going to be disappointed. You need to go in if knowing nothing about it and you will have a good time. And I think it's also one of those things is for being kind of a forgotten cult classic movie, it still is one of those things. If we're talking, this came out in 85, Gremlins came out in 84, American Werewolf in London, which we're talking about being like some people consider being the start of the horror comedy genre in general was 81. We're still talking early, early in horror comedy, especially for the 80s horror comedy thing. Like, this has a lot of the things now we would say, as weird as it is, some of those tropes and things coming up, like the disembodied hand moving on its own and stuff like that and attacking people. Like, we're talking early horror comedy. This is like the start of all of that. And just to see this, this early film that's kind of been a little bit forgotten, I think is kind of just fun and interesting on its own just for that aspect because this is before gremlins 2 where where gremlins went real nuts <laughs> yeah well, gremlins and 2 what i was thinking while i'm watching it is this came out movie. in 85 and that's the same year as back to the future and i'm just thinking like story wise and special effects wise like it's definitely not that like a movie tier but yeah. Well, well, horror movies and genres have always had a lot of times budget working against them because they're not necessarily taken. And Back to the Future wouldn't have necessarily either, but like genre films always have to work against the fact that they're not taken as serious. So you're always kind of, well, we're going to figure it out with what we have. And, and a lot of times that works out really well because you get people coming up with real interesting special effects and practical effects and stuff like that. But, but you're not going to have like a horror movie, especially something like this, that, that's going to have the budget of like a James Cameron movie. Right. And I think the, the low budget definitely shows in this film, but that's the charm of campy horror yeah. film is that they are low budget, but it's watching a bunch of professionals have fun making a movie and it, they made a fun movie. I, I think throwing all the money in the world at it would have taken something away from it. Right. See, this is the same... Throwing all the money in the world is how you get, like, a Sharknado 3. Yeah. Where Sharknado is a lot of fun, and then it got overhyped, and then they threw money at it, and it, then it just... It lost, it lost all the charm. Or, or even some of the problems people have with the first... The episode one of Star Wars is, suddenly we have all the money in the world that we can throw at Star Wars... And so we can try all this cool special effects stuff, but kind of lost the train of connecting it to what was Star Wars, because now we have all of these effects instead of what was the normal effects for the genre, for the franchise. Alrighty, so uh, let's see, I think that's going to close up reviews. Sarah, would you like to tell our audience where they can find us online should they choose to do so? And if you can be not distracted, my bye dog in the background. I don't know, he's pretty cute. Um, our website is retrograding.fireside.fm. At Facebook, I think we're just retrograding podcast. Yeah, we're probably going to get rid of retrograding party line. It's still there, but we're not doing anything with it. Well, they were supposed to do something. Oh, no, it's just retrograding. I always get that wrong. No, it's retrograding podcast. It just shows up as retrograding as the title. That's why it confuses me, because I'm not very smart. At retrograding podcast <laughs> on Facebook, but the title is just retrograding, <laughs> and that's why I confuse it. The point is, I try. Um, and our music is done by Dominique Barnes. Who continues to be great. All right, that's going to bring us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. Um, and... I forgot to prepare this because I often forget to prepare this. 
So I'm going to wing it. There are better ways to kill a fish. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know, it's not bad. I was going to go with don't clean a loaded shotgun. Uh, But yeah, I think both of those are pretty good takeaways from this film. Uh, Our audience can mull over both of them for the coming month until our next episode in November. And we will catch you guys next time. in there because we don't know if he was having problems writing the book before or after the Sunday. Um, but I would say, but it's... Uh, <laughs> um, but it's still not a completely closed case because he does keep still calling the cops. So I'm going to say more than six months, less than two years. Guys, the second movie is called House the Second Story. Ah, pretty great. Pretty great. Maybe I would like to know you to know that still pops up as our chat when I get a hangout call is Kid Rocks. Oh. Bomb did a wand to dab it Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bomb did a wabba babada babadook. That's the uh, one, right? Sure. You just sound like All you were right. doing the intro to Barbara. Uh, for... Yeah. The blue moon well, intro. No, it's a bad song for horror films, as previously discussed. No, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Not for this one, because it's ridiculous. What were those songs? I have to figure out what those songs are now, because...